1: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
2: Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host Conor O'Neill and it has been quite the seven days since we last recorded the Royal Blue Podcast. We've got a bumper echo crew with me this afternoon to talk all things Everton. Adam Jones, the returning Joe Thomas are making his Royal Blue debut, Dave Powell. But I think we always say it's never done well. a done moment for Everton Football Club, and there's always a lot going on, even in the off-season. But this past week, I think we've hit new heights, haven't we? And Although we've got a lot to get into, I think we've got to start with the big news that came on Friday, officially come on Friday, but we all knew it was coming in the days leading up to it, and that was what Charleston had officially done Tottenham Hotspur the Colts hero. I was going to say, I didn't know what one you were going to go. Hold well, on. <laughs> the big, the yeah, yeah. big news on Friday. I was
3: like, what, what, the, which the cult one is hero
2: that? You know, I was waiting for the cue then. <laughs> fans have adored. He's adored the fans. It's been a you know a wonderful relationship but it sadly came to an abrupt end on Fridays. he joined Antonio Conte's side. And Adam, it was a, a real bittersweet moment, wasn't it, for Everton? because, although, you know, they wish nothing for Charles the best after everything he's done for the club and the fact he can now don't play Champions League football and, and play some true you no know, global superstars to lose the, the talisman the way they have in the enrollment they have mm. is, is bitter and it's it's a bit of a Oh yeah. Well I mean it was a bittersweet moment for me because within two
0: minutes of waking up on Friday the Chili Peppers gig that I was meant to go to got cancelled and richarlison was confirmed by Spurs. So you know <laughs> let me tell you that was not the way I wanted to start a Friday morning. But I think yeah, it, 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 is, it is a bit like a, a grim pill to swallow, isn't it? That, you know, Everton signed a player like Richarlison hoping that he will be able to lead them into a sort of European charge, you know, into a fight for regular trophies and such. And, you know, it, the window that he arrived in, I think, was ended up being probably one of the best windows that Everton have had in in some time and you know Richards the are up machine. Oh well yeah, absolutely yeah you know and you know Richarlison was a big part of that the cadene was obviously a big part of that as well both of them both of them of course have left the club now but uh, yeah Richarlison's one is is so frustrating because as you say you know he, he was he was a player who gave absolutely everything Jordan his time at Everton even when you know the chips were down and it was it was really bad towards the end of the last season obviously he came out and said you know I promise we're we're not gonna go down I'm gonna get a side of this Lived up to that promise, of course. Scored some really important goals. Uh, led the line really well towards the end of the end of last season, and that was kind of that kind of ended up being sort of a fitting part and gift, didn't it? That you know it was his quality that was that ended up being so crucial towards Everton's survival because he is Everton's best player. Well, he was Everton's best player. Yeah, you know, he, he, like that's that's the long and short of it. So you know, it is bitter that Everton you know, with the way that they've been managed probably over the last years, you know, from top to bottom, that they just couldn't live up to what Richarlison needs. You know, he does need this sort of European football. He needs to be challenging for these trophies. He's, you know, Brazil's starting striker at the end of the day. You know, he he needs these these kind of successes in his career. And I've got no doubt in my mind that if Everton could have, you know, made a realistic you know, a realistic push for these successes next season, then he probably would have given us a fair a fair crack at keeping him for for a little bit longer because he does love the club, doesn't he? But at the end of the day, I think we all knew that this was coming. Everton can't live up to what Richarlison wants. And that's I think that's the that's the real kicker, isn't it? That's the that's the real thing that actually frustrates a lot of fans a little bit more. And I suppose, you know, only time will tell. It will be offset a little bit if Everton can use this money in the right way and he can uh, replace him in 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 the right manner. I'm sure we'll discuss that a little bit later on but uh, yeah as as things stand you know it, it does just hurt that you know especially with it being a club such as Spurs you know it was only a few years ago the Everton and Spurs would have probably been considered a level playing field and it's anything but that right now at the minute isn't it so yeah I think there's, there's a lot of frustrating little aspects to it and it was obviously emotional to to see him go but I think at the same time Everton have just got to try and think to themselves right we kind of knew that this was coming we needed to have a plan in place uh, for this to happen. Regardless, let's move on to these targets. Let's let's
2: try and replace them in, uh, in the best way possible next season. Joe, Adam, just talk about then in, in terms of targets and replacing Richarlison. We've done a piece myself, Adam and, and you as well. And you know who would be picked to you know replace realistically replace Richarlison? but surely I mean I've, I've certainly heard it might be in the pieces. He, Charleston's irreplaceable, isn't he? I mean, what Everton have lost, they're not going to get back because he was such an important figure on the pitch, but off the pitch, and they'll never ever be able to replace that kind of spirit, determination, and, and like Adam said Daniel, in terms of that belief of keeping Everton up and, and playing his part, they will never ever going to replace that, are they?
1: You certainly can't replace it like for like straight away. Obviously, we know that the money that is coming in for Richarlison can't all go straight out on a on a replacement. Obviously, there are, there are facets of what Richarlison brought to, to Everton that could potentially be replaced in the short term. But in terms of everything that he did on the on hall, obviously, you know, it wasn't just his goals. And I know there are people that say that, you know, he didn't score bucket loads of goals for, for Everton that they could potentially be replaced. But, you know, it was all around, all around demeanour, his persona on the pitch, the way he got that Goodison Park crowd going, especially in those um, final weeks of the season. You know, he really was a talisman during a time when the club was, you know, at its lowest point, you know, he was somebody that's the, you, you have quite a few iconic pictures of him from those final weeks, you've got him holding the the smoke bomb, which will obviously you know, potentially get him into further trouble down the line, although that's now somebody else's problem to worry about. <laughs> but, you, know, you you got the image of him just, just, just doing the, doing a, like lying on his um, stomach in front of the uh, the crowd after Calvert-Lewinson's goal, Just. You know, score scoring, you know, just celebrating by himself. You know, he was responsible for most of Everton's best moments last season. Um, he was undoubtedly their best player. He was a player that even when the chips were down, he you know, got stuck in and performed. I remember seeing him against you know, against Burnley in that that horrible three two defeat, which really kind of cemented the fact that Everton were in a relegation battle to the end of the season. And for all the struggles, obviously he had the composure to score two penalties in high pressurised circumstances. But just throughout that game, as as much as Everton, you know, struggled to obviously see out a win and in the end lost. You know, he he fought and he fought and he fought. And like he was a, you know, he he was an example. He was someone everyone else could could rally behind. And yeah, there's there's no doubt the Everton, given the situation they're in now, can't go out and replace like for like. So now they have to kind of almost. Go back to basics and have to be at that point where it's you can't buy Richarlison now, so it's a case of who's going to be the next Richarlison. You know, Efton have got to use that, you know, back to basics model where they've got to spend smaller amounts of money trying to find the players that will be good in two or three years' time. Um, you know, how obviously they need players will have a short term impact, but it's now a case of finding someone you can maybe find in a 15 20 million pound player who can grow into a 40, 50, 60 million pound player over the next two seasons. But obviously, what Everton do need is they do need quality in the short term. They need someone who can come in and make an impact in several areas of the pitch because we saw what happened Mm -hmm. with that squad last season. It did suffer from injury problems, it did have bad luck. There were bad VAR calls, bad refereeing decisions. Um, But obviously, it was a squad that only just avoided relegation. You know, it's lost its best player, it's lost its most talismanic player. Tarkovsky is a good sign in since then. Obviously, he strengthens at the back. He's a leader on the pitch, what they needed. But obviously, more people need to come through the door if it's not going to be another very difficult season next year.
2: Dave, you know, obviously, you're the Echo's business of football writer for any listeners who aren't familiar with, with James old Echo. One thing that a lot has been said about in terms of transfer fee and the deal in which Everton have got, there's a lot of Everton's who believe that the clubs have got a lot more money for Charleston in today's market and, you know, Everton simply have been a little bit had off by Tottenham. As someone who closely monitors the financial world of football, and transfer fees in particular, was this deal the combination of Everton's mismanagement and the fact they need to balance the books and the fact that things had to be done by a certain time frame that ultimately left them a little moves to manoeuvre in terms of digging
3: their heels in and, and driving a hard bargain? There was an acceptance, I think, that they had to sell one major asset before um, the end of the financial year. So end of Everton's financial year is um, June 30th. um, It's a month after the likes of Liverpool. So they had, basically, there was was a bit of a mad scramble to try and get a major deal done through the door because obviously that reflects in the accounts when they show next year. And that all goes to um, try and help their profit and sustainability issues with the Premier League. Um, And it's not just a case of, bringing in some money, it's also a case of the cost. There was still um, Richarlison's contract was still being amortized in in their accounts. So basically that's when the transfer fees don't just disappear from a club's accounts there. And then they are, you know, so if if you sign a player for 50 million and they sign a five-year contract, that that fee is shown in your accounts across a five-year period. So with Richarlison going now, that's a a cost of uh, off the top of my head, probably five, six million per year, which is also removed um, from Everton's balance sheet. So there's, there's an element of money coming in. There's an element of wages, uh, assuming you're one of the bigger earners for Charleston. Um, and then there was the amortization costs. So there's a saving there. So Everton kind of have, have, have made a huge saving on in terms of what they needed to do for p issues. And that means that they're okay, I think, in terms of, what next year's accounts look like in terms of trying to manage what the Premier League want them to manage. So they've had to stay in close dialogue with the Premier League and be seen to be doing as much as they possibly can to try and mitigate the the impact of, of what has been their overspend over the last two or three years. Um, in terms of whether he went for the right fee, it's very difficult to um, to, to place a, a market value on players. There's, there's various metrics you can use to give yourself an idea um, Largely, they come down to an impact in terms of a goal-scoring impact. Obviously, Richarlison's uh, impact at Everton kind of transcends just what he did uh, on the pitch. He's a cult hero, so to fans, that means a lot more. That adds adds value if you were if you were looking at looking at it from a fan's perspective. But for prospective buyers, what they care about is return on their investment on the pitch. So, I think. Um, I think they have probably got around the market value for Richarlison, if I'm if I'm honest. Um, I know the likes of Harland um, was his release clause is paid, so you can ignore that. I think Grealish was a nonsense fee to start with, and I think that's reflected now. I think if Grealish goes to market now in a normal circumstance, after the back of his Man City season, I think that's that fees about sixty or seventy million. Um, so if you're thinking Richarlison at sixty, I think that probably fits in around about right. Um, it's just, it's galling because I think it, it, it's what you touched on before about going full circle. I mean, Richarlison has seen as kind of that, a sign in which made a statement that Everton were no longer going to be kind of kicking the heels around mid-table or making a genuine play to try and be one of the, the big sides. But of course, that was part of Mashiri's plan was to spend heavy. Um, in order to bridge that gap between themselves and the big six before Bramley Moor Dock was realised. That hadn't happened. Um, there's been no strategy, which meant that there's been no success and they haven't been able to drive the revenue streams up as quickly as they've been spending. So that's where you get left with the huge problem of cumulative losses of £370-odd million over three years. So um, it's just a – I think it's kind of – Something symbolic of, of of what's been the the kind of reign, isn't it? And under Mishiri, there was a lot of hope um, at the start, but ultimately it's kind of unravelled. And and maybe though this is the point where they have to press the reset button and just have a think about what they actually are, because they've tried to reach for the uh, reach for the stars a bit and just spend money and it's not worked. So maybe there's a realization that they have to do things differently. And and the fact that they're selling Richarlison for in essence is a is a slight profit because they bought him for thirty five and. Up raising to 50 wasn't it I think I'm not too sure whether those how many of those markers have been met in terms of him reaching that 50 million mark because I imagine a lot of that was attached to reaching Europe and certain personal goals so I imagine the, the actual final sum is probably early to mid 40s for Richarlison which means that they're likely to you know they'll, they'll make a profit on him but it's not um, it doesn't feel like much of a victory in that sense given the fact that they've had to expedite his sale just to, to kind of make ends meet Adam, you know, you've already
2: touched on this yourself and, and Joe as well. But going back in terms of the football side of things, we spoke you know, long and hard about how big this summer is for Kevin Fellwell and Frank Lampard mm-hmm. and getting the things right and trying to move things in the right direction. But the sale of Charleston and the fact he's not well, I'm going to be there for Frank Lampard to rely on just puts added pressure on Kevin Fellwell and the recruitment team, doesn't it? To, to try and bring something up someone who can make a difference because. We thought Everton were a little bit like last season with Richarlison. Mm-hmm. We're out with they're helpful at lighter arc. Yeah, in a, in a sense, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it
0: puts more pressure on them because, you know, as I said earlier, I think it was quite obvious that this was going to happen, really. you know, we, at the start of the international break, you remember Richarlison did a press conference and he said he'd already told mm-hmm. Everton's hierarchy of his you know, intentions over the course of the summer. Now, you imagine. given what's happened he probably told them that he wanted to leave if you know if the right bid came in so even if they weren't aware before then which you know you'd have to be you'd have to be a bit naive to not realize that this was that this was coming already But you know they've had at least a month to, to to try and assess their options and try and think about different ways forward I've got no doubt in my mind that they've probably been preparing for this Eventuality long before then, so you know I, I'm not sure it puts more pressure on them because they kind of knew that this was coming already. So it, it, it kind of just puts their puts their plan into motion. Now we we should we should start seeing the gears moving a little bit on where Everton see life after a Charleston. Uh, but like really, I think the big thing for me is you know as Joe was saying before, you just can't replace them like for like. So you're probably going to have to get two players because as you said. Yeah, ever ever wear light, even with Richarlison in terms of creativity, in terms of goals all over the pitch. So you know, you're probably looking at two wingers, maybe coming in, or maybe you know a winger and a striker, or you know a winger and a second striker, attacking midfielder sort of player. You know that that those are the kinds of options facing you. It's hard to it's hard to really judge right now because we don't know what kind of uh, formation even Frank Lampard is going to prefer next season. What you know him and Thelwell discussed in terms of the systems. You know that each each level of the club are gonna are gonna play because you know it's not just the first team that we've got to think about in this sense you know, there's there's going to be a clear move to a more joined up thinking in terms of on on the field strategy in terms of the under 23s and the under 18s moving forward as well so it, it's going to be really interesting to see how how that all folds in together but yeah I think I think there's already there was already a fair amount of pressure on what Lampard fell well and the rest of the recruitment team going to do over the course of this summer anyway so you know the, the charles something I, I i think you did you did have to be a little bit naive to not see that coming so yeah i, I really in my heart of hearts i hope that there's that there's a plan in place there to to move forward you know they, they've got targets in place now that they're going to open talks with because you know it, it was very difficult for them wasn't it you know you, you'd imagine these have in an ideal world wanted to have opened a few talks before the end of the season, maybe, but you know, without knowing where they were going to be playing their football mm-hmm. uh, this coming this coming year, you know that that even becomes more difficult. You wonder how you know all this takeover talk that we're going to speak about later. Of course, you wonder how all that's going to affect any sort of transfer negotiations as well. You don't know where the money's potentially going to be coming from for all these sorts of deals. Still, so it, it's just there's there's just so much still up in the air. So there is there is just a there's a constant weight on the shoulders and a constant pressure let's just let's just hope that there is a plan in place and you know now that richarlison has moved on we'll see uh, we'll see the wheels turning a little bit on what, uh, whatever we're going to look like in the future
3: the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo
2: Joe, I think that you know, just in terms of the departure of Charlson and, and the way fans that have, have kind of reacted to it, you know, the way you know, legend probably bands it all too easy these days. But in terms of modern day greats at Everton and Great to we we've seen all the last you know, 20, 20, 25 years, but Charleston leaves Goodison Park as a great doesn't he have to you know all he's achieved and certainly in the, the back end in you know, the last ten games of last season, you know, the big goals against like Chelsea and Crystal Palace and the performance against like man United and and Brentford, where he, you know, he seemingly just trying to grab the games by the scruff of the neck, he, he deserved He, he deserved a, a real kind of place in Everton history, doesn't he? In modern-day history, certainly.
1: Well, he certainly had a significant impact, and you know, I think we have to really look back on the last few weeks of the last season, and, and there was gen, there was genuine peril that Everton were in. They could realistically have got relegated, and that would have been catastrophic for the club, you know, just, you know, from a financial perspective, it would have been a nightmare. You know, the championship is a difficult league to get out of. And for a club as storied and as historic and as famous as Everton, you know, relegation to, to the championships, to the second tier, would have just been an absolute catastrophe. The reason that they didn't go down, or one of the big reasons they didn't go down was because of a Charleston and because of, you know, like you say, is. His last-minute equaliser against Leicester, there's the goal that he scored, in against Chelsea, you know, it's the goal that he scored against Manchester United. Yeah, you know, though the performances, even against say Burnley and Brentford, obviously he scored in both of those, and although Everton lost them, you know, the manner of his performance at least gave gave some hope, and, and certainly with Brentford, obviously as frustrating as that was, it was very much a it was a game in which because of, you know, Richarlison's efforts and and because of what happened on the pitch, it kind of had almost a unifying force. Rather than focusing on what the players were doing, you could focus on what the referee was doing in the decisions because Richarlison was at least keeping him in the game. He won the penalty, Um, you know, should have had another penalty for the incident that uh, ended up with Bramquake getting sent off. You know, I think it's jarring in some respects to talk about legends and greats in terms of Everton in the past 25 years, because what is there to show for it? You know, I mean, there, there's it's been a long time without trophies. It's been, it's been quite, all you here. Know, there've been very few stints, you know, there've been very few times when they've come close to, to getting any silverware as well. But, you know, he's certainly someone that was, very good at inspiring the you know the, the Everton crowd that they could get behind. He was someone who was genuinely capable of, of moments of magic that, you know, there haven't been many Everton players in recent years who've been able to live up to the heights that Richarlison could live to when he was at his best and everything was going well. It's just a shame, I think, for everybody, including Richarlison, but especially the fans that those days were, were, were too few, when even if Richarlison was at his best, what Everton had around them wasn't capable of... Um, producing something they could get behind and, and challenge for silverware.
2: Gents, if Everton losing their best player on Friday morning wasn't enough news for supporters to have to digest, a couple of hours later, more big news broke regarding the ongoing takeover. Mixed messages, I think it's safe to say, uh, emerged regarding where the club was currently at. The club were supposed to fire, sure have he believed that The takeover was off and, and things had come to an end. The talks come to an end. Our U.S. consortium led by Peter kenyon you know, messages from there. Their side of things are talks are still ongoing. You know, it's far from off and, and you know, they're still confident that a deal can be done, and they can take over Everton Football Club. Dave, this is a story that you've you know been on top of since it initially broke in you know, a couple of weeks ago, and it's a story that you've continued to to cover in in depth. You've obviously been on top of this on Friday, and it's been quite. Weekend has nothing in terms of updates on where we stand. What's your understanding of the current
3: situation as as of now? As of this morning, um, which is a Monday morning, it's um, the the position was that it's a it's Fourth of July weekend in the US. It's a federal holiday, so the 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 chance of doing much business is is limited. But I'm told what i was told from from people close to to the bid um, from the the Kaminsky's, Thornton's, and, and Peter Kenyon was that it was a case of um, conversations were still ongoing, but that exclusivity period, which ran out on Friday has not not been extended. Um, I was told on Friday after the initial news um, broke that, that people close to Mashiri had said that the deal was dead, that the position from um, the US, from the Kaminsky group, was that uh, paperwork had been exchanged on Thursday with a view to trying to get that extended. Um, that obviously hasn't happened. Um, and. We are left, you know. But I was also told that on on Friday that um, they remained in dialogue, and that to quote, they were still the only show in town. But um, I think a, a club with a like Everton. I mean, there's huge scarcity value in in football clubs in in the Premier League. Um, Everton being one of those in particular of a story Premier League history. So I would imagine there will be investors who, who may not have shown their hand yet, who are waiting in the wings. I mean, we've heard reports of a couple. Um, these things happen very quickly but um the the position from the Kaminskis is they they still want to acquire the club they are still in dialogue with with Mishiri at least um that's that's their point of view nothing is changing from the club's end I don't think but um had there been a a complete breakdown in talks you would imagine that it would a very swift 100 word statement on the club website would have put all that to bed but we've We've seen nothing nothing like that. Um so there there probably is what an element of sticking a, a point in between what the two are saying and, and finding some element of, of reality. Um there is probably some questions on both sides around the deal. Um, but also there's now this exclusivity period is ended. Um is this a chance for, for Mashiri to try and put some pressure on um the consortium who are interested in, and also maybe to kind of smoke out some other potential bidders um who might want to show their hand now that they can because obviously during that exclusivity period Mashiri's is not able to engage in any other uh, efforts to try and sell the football club Um it's purely there for them to for the consortium who wanted to buy the club to, to do due diligence on the club and um, to take a good look at it without fear of being gazumped by another bid but that that ended now they still want to and i think they're quite keen to try and expedite the process and uh, and get back to the the negotiating table but um i i anticipate maybe the next few days might see that kind of arm's length relationship continue until we find you know some some kind of real clear concrete evidence in in which direction we're going but either way it's, it's not fair on on uh, on supporters ultimately that Everything has been, so you know, it's just been, you know, it's in limbo and um, there's conflicting messages and all this on a day when they, you know, they, they lose Richarlison and it's, um, it's not been been fantastic. But, you know, this, this week we may see some movement. The idea initially was to try and, from the US side of things, was to try and get it all tied up uh, before Everton go on their pre-season. Well, before the Everton, um, by the time Everton faced Minnesota United in Minneapolis, which is, the home city of the kaminskis that's a i'm told that's pure coincidence by the way that uh, they're playing a game in minneapolis um but yeah that's um I, I imagine those kind of deadlines are probably a bit fanciful now even if they were to get back to the negotiating table because they're already losing time and losing ground um but either way it's something which needs to be resolved very very soon um if sherry wants to stay and show and that you know it, that needs to be fed back really officially. Um, or if, is it a case if he's just now turning his attention to investment in the stadium, which has kind of been mooted uh, in some points? Um, I suspect it's probably to see whether or not there is more interest in the market. And my bet um, would be that there probably are some groups who would be interested in getting to the table to to talk um, now that they've got the ability to.
2: Adam, when we first. I was talking about the takeover and the report and. Um... What was emerging what, what going on behind the scenes was becoming clear. One thing we did speak about was the hope that although it values really does really happen, there's some sort of smooth transition for supporters mm-hmm. and for everyone involved with the club and that, you know, things don't get crossed and we don't end up in a you know a situation where we, we effectively find ourselves now where you've got one side saying one thing, one side saying the other because like Dave's already alluded to the whole uncertainty and the whole mix-mesh was no one mainly supporters people involved the club as well you know even people like frank lampard no one no favors does it given you know the, what four four weeks away from the start of the new season well i think that's that's the issue isn't it
0: you know the the, the club is already in you know a, a major bit of flux even without this you know we've got kevin fellwell arriving and he's you know conducting something of a quite a large shake-up of you know the academy staff lots of different backroom sort of positions as well so we've got all that going on we've got you know quite a quite a big turnaround of players, you know, players leaving at the end of their contracts, have potentially, you know, have already sold with Charles and already brought in James Tarkovsky. You know, they've got potentially others going out the door, potentially more coming in. And it's got so many changes at even those levels that, you know, just just throwing in, you know, an ownership and an ownership sort of potential change into the mix as well. It's a it's it's a little bit overwhelming, isn't it, for 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 Everton fans to try and deal with. And, you know, as you say, with, with it coming up, with all the news of this coming on Friday as well, after, straight after the Richarlison news, you know, I think I took one look at, <laughs> at Twitter on Friday <laughs> and then I was just like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going to leave that for the rest of the day. Now I don't, I, I don't need it. Uh, yeah, and it, it is a, it is a little bit frustrating, really, isn't it? That You know, Everton just can't seem to have any sort of period of stability or any sort of assurances for the future at the minute, because everything is just, you know, so, so in flux, as I say, and it's, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what to say about all this now, because it, it it's just, it, it, I really do feel like it's just a kind of wait and wait and see what happens. You know, I've got, I've got no doubt in my mind that Farhad Mashiri probably is still interested in selling the club i don't think the talks would have progressed as far as they have with this consortium if if he wasn't so you know i think dave's quite probably quite right at what he's saying that you know he's, he's potentially just trying to smoke out any sort of new bidders that might be you know that might have been even alerted to this possibility by the fact that there was an exclusively exclusivity period with with another group you know they, they because it went oh wow <laughs> didn't even realize this was an option on the table let's let's throw our hat into the ring you know that perhaps perhaps that could uh, happen down the line but I think the main thing for me is that I I just don't want to I just don't want this to affect you know the transfer window as I, as I was saying previously because you know there, there is there, there is the possibility that if these sort of takeover talks progress throughout the summer and there is just so much uncertainty throughout the summer you do wonder you know is machiri going to be willing to pump you know 20 30 40 50 million into another transfer window when he knows that he's not going to see the benefits of it but at the same time if he doesn't pump the money in does he bring Everton's overall value down because he's not set them up right for the future mm. it's such a it's such a finely balanced thing that like i, I just Everton could just do without it <laughs> like at this point i think Everton could just do without it. in in what is in the midst of you know already a hugely important transfer window i just think that like this you know eight eight weeks fell or something like that this is the time when you wanted Everton to just be able to you know efficiently go through their business and if something like this is going to be able to is going to detract from that in, in any sort of way i think that's going to be the most frustrating thing and you know as you, as you say you know the fans as well they just don't really don't really know what's going on and you know that's only that's only going to increase the frustration in a, in a lot of aspects as well and you can understand it you know especially given what's been a really tumultuous yeah at the, at the very least it goes and, you know it, it doesn't look like doesn't look like getting any smoother anytime soon does it with all the uh with all the breaking news that seems to be happening so yeah i, I think at the minute it is it is just a, a very much a wait and see what happens sort of thing but I, I
3: i think it's less than ideal to say the least just to touch on a point which adam made, that um i i don't see um uh, we talk about why would Macher want to sell um, there is an element here of cutting your losses while you can because he will exit the football club with a loss there's no doubt about that I mean he, even if he sells the football club for you know for, for 600 million which uh, and, and gets a commitment to fund the rest of the stadium which would be a deal way above what, what people would predict um, he's still going to exit with a big loss that's just going to be that's just the reality of it all however um the, the alternative if if he doesn't sell is having to fund um having to have that onerous task of trying to find the funding for the rest of the stadium. Um a really difficult time for global financing as well and trying to find that capital to finish a, a project as big as Bramley Moor Dock and then having to contend with underwriting transfer business, any losses which might occur in the future. So that seven hundred million plus he's already into Everton for um could well, you know, you, you could well be finding yourself edging close to the billion pound mark um, within a couple of years. So it's important that um, I think for him, um, that it, I mean, finding the investment for the stadium may answer some questions for him or, or, or some problems that he has. But I, I feel that it's probably a case he, he feels that he, he can no longer just throw money into the football club um, and with, without any kind of, you know, Plan for how to get any of it back because it just seems like it's it's it's, it's not just it's not going to happen. The Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: Joe, you know, Adam and Dave have both touched on this a little bit, but in terms of Farhad Sherry, we kind of need. Well, he needs to make his sort of clear as he in terms of is he if he wants to sell the club, you know look to sell it, get the best possible deal he can. Or if he doesn't want to sell a good one wants to not keep hold of it, to look at you know the best way possible to back Frank Lampard and and and, and build Everton a, a, a much brighter you know fresher squad for the new season because you know as in the bright isn't in terms of you know Everton kind of just feels like they're stuck in the, a, a between a rock and a hard place at the minute because they've got no has you know talks to sell so how already put more put money in but then if you know them talks don't come to nothing and Everton don't end up with a strong squad for the new start of the new season all of a sudden they could build well, find themselves in a the relegation fight, and it could be another long, you know, eight or nine months for supporters. Amber Shirley, with the threat of champions, the Championship football hanging over them.
1: I mean, I think he needs to be open and honest with his staff about the parameters in which they're working. Uh, for a start, you know, I think if you look at what Kevin Farwell and Frank Lampard have got to do, well, they probably, because of the fact that Everton were in a relegation battle, and it was uncertain whether or not they'd be in the Premier League this coming season. They probably lost out on four six weeks at the end of last season through which they could start negotiating for players, sounding out players and, and agents because of the uncertainty over where they'd be offering their football the following year. You know, I think that obviously we've come to the end of the last financial year, so there's some certainty within the club there will be about where their accounts lie. And as a result of that, some kind of certainty around what they're aiming for this coming year and... Obviously, again, Falwell and Lampard need to know the circumstances under which they're operating. Um, in terms of what Mashiri says publicly, well, depends whose perspective you're looking at. It. I mean, the fans deserve to know more. Of course they do. And, you know, the, the fans are what make the club great. And it would be, you know, you, you'd like to think it'd be in everyone's interest to keep them in the loop and, and only fair because of obviously everything so dear to their heart. I suppose from a business perspective, it probably suits um it probably suits for there to be a cloud of uncertainty and mystery around what's going on so that he can try and, you know, if he is open to if he is open to, to to sell and to try and you know flush out more investors or start a bidding war or anything like that. Obviously if he's got no interest in selling whatsoever, then I don't see how I don't see how there could be any downside in him coming out and saying that. You know, you, you think it would give everybody a bit of certainty. It would tell the investors, tell those that are circling to, to back off. It would give the fans some certainty as well. But obviously, if he's willing to listen to offers for it, then, as I say, a bit of mystery around where he's at, what he's looking at, the figures that he's looking at and what it would take for him to, to, to sell up would probably suits him, even if it doesn't suit everybody else. But, you know, Falwell and Lampard definitely need to know what, what they're operating under, what is their budget, what are they looking to do. Um, you know, how much would a takeover affect that? Well, I think takeover wouldn't affect where wherever are in the profit and sustainability uh, regulations. Um, but obviously it'd be handy for them to know how um, how far Mish- how much Machiris willing to spend, obviously how much he can spend and stay within the, you know, the finance regulations and whatever that limit is, how much of that he's willing to, to go to so they can start looking at signing new players
3: and strengthening the side. I think It'll also give an indication of how confident he is of this season because at the moment he's selling a Premier League football club, um, which has the value attached to a Premier League football club because it has a 10 billion pound, uh, a 10 billion TV deal globally over the ne- you know, in, in the next cycle. It has the chance of Champions League football. Obviously, if, you know, all these things are just things that you have a chance yeah, yeah, that's, that's like Champions League football. Um, <laughs> it's a case of um if if he is going to be funding the next 12 months um because he doesn't find a suitable bidder this time round, then he would have to have some confidence that the team that and the funds that would be available for frank lampard to strengthen would be sufficient enough for them not to have another relegation dogfight because it's real risk for him to go into this and think well i won't sell now maybe i'll sell next summer what happens if next summer God forbid, something dreadful happens in terms of this season and it does become another relegation dogfight because the money hasn't been there to strengthen. Trying to sell a championship team for a billion pound? No, it not yeah. happen. Dave, just, just to stick
2: with you in terms of the valuation, the figures that, you know, there's been a lot of figures banded about in, in what people believe Everton are worth, what Fire Machiri believes they're worth, what they're realistically going to get. Where do you sit in terms of the, the true valuation of Everton you know, football? Where do you, you know how... What do you see Farber being able to kind of recoup in terms of if he was to sell a club in you know, the, the next couple of weeks or the next couple of months? Say,
3: if you were looking at Everton as a business that didn't wasn't a football club, that didn't have so much emotion attached to it that football does, then five hundred million pounds for the actual club and then the same price again for capital expenditure to finish a project, say whether it's its headquarters or something. But obviously in this case, a stadium. Would be lunacy because it's a loss-making business of you know, the past three years. You just wouldn't. Um, you'd be looking at probably about three hundred million pound less than that. But football isn't a normal business. It's um, the emotion attached to it. The revenue streams are vastly different. You are. Um, there's so much risk involved in terms of, but there's so much, you know, the potential is there for, I mean, so US investors look at this quite differently now. They see European football as heavily undervalued because I mentioned it before, scarcity value. There's only 20 Premier League teams. It's the biggest league in the world, uh, biggest football league in the world. So when one of those teams becomes for sale, there is lots of interest. Um, especially teams which aren't historically battling relegation, which Everton haven't. I mean, they've never been relegated from, from the Premier League, you know. So we're not talking about Burnley or, or, or Brentford or teams like that. We're talking about Everton who have a huge fan base. It's a global fan base. It's a global brand. They have a new stadium on the way, which American investors love. So if you look back at history through throughout a lot of American investors, the first thing they look at, FSG did it at Liverpool, was what do we do about a stadium? We need a new stadium. But this the wheels are already in motion with that. You've got Bramley Moore Dock, which has got part of a Work's already started. All you have to do is find the financing. Easier said than done, I understand. But the market value is based upon um, a number of factors. So I probably think it is is about where, where football clubs lie at the moment. So if you look at the MLS, for example, US investors aren't looking towards the MLS so much because the average value of a team in the MLS is 500 million based upon the valuation of likes of LAFC and then what teams have been sold for. So Houston and Orlando were sold for $400 million each. The average is about $500 million. Um, the MLS deals tiny compared to the premier league deal. The teams have no global reach. The premier league is still the second most watched football league in America, soccer league behind Liga MX, which is the Mexican league, which has a huge viewership for uh, because of the demographics of the US and the large Hispanic population. Um, so there are all these factors at play. So the Americans also see the benefit in um, the bene- the betting market. So betting is now legalized in lo- a lot of American major markets, so New York, California, places like that. So this presents an opportunity for American uh, investors to kind of hitch their, um, hitch their wagon onto that, I suppose, if you're in a football club. And then you- I think they're also backing, banking on the rise in popularity which will undoubtedly arise in the us from from the world cup in 2026 it's already a country which is getting further and further involved in football um so there are loads and loads of different factors at play so i think that 500 million when you look at what's been sold around europe is probably about right ignore the 500 million for the capex expenditure for grammy mordock that's that's not the valuation of the actual football club itself that's what needs needs to happen to for it to be acquired because he wants a financial commitment to finish that stadium but they'd be looking at that um, investors thinking, well, if we can raise that funding, and what I've been told from the community bid was that the stadium may have to be refinanced to, to, to finish that, which was what the series plan was anyway. Um, but the football club would be all equity and no debt, um, which is a positive. But um, they they would see that as being able to generate revenue streams. So you'd have a venue in Liverpool which can hold, you know, you've already got Anfield and. Um, the m Bank Arena, but it's another venue which could hold NFL games, music concerts, all sorts of, you know, variety of things and it can be used all year round because, I mean, Goodison Park, for as fantastic as it is and the history it has, it is something of a, uh, it puts the handbrake a bit on what Everton wants to achieve financially because they can only do so much with it. Um, so that opens up a lot of avenues. So I think, um, I think the valuation is probably about where I would expect it to be at present. So the 500 for the football club and, and 500 for, for any capex expenditure for the stadium but again it's football so you know if someone wants it badly enough they'll pay whatever they want whatever they can afford or whatever they, they feel is 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 enough for them to acquire it
2: Adam I think you no know, one thing we've all spoke about on this show or certainly privately is the grounds and the new stadium and no matter what happens regarding the takeover the takeover is complete or you know he was in charge of the club that the work that's continued brandly more dark and what is going on there can't stop can't be stalled they've got to crack on as normal and and, and you know keep pace but the, the usual time and the club set out when when they commenced oh yeah
0: and they have been as well to be fair haven't they you know it, it's been it has been really interesting especially over the last few weeks to see you know the amount of updates that we've been seeing from bramley more you know you're seeing the steel workers starting to be in place you know you're starting to see what, what is looking like the framework of one of the stands at the South Stand. Yeah, you're starting to see what, what looks like the framework of what that stand would be. You know, you've got the corners with all the uh, with the concrete superstructure that are starting to you know rise highly above the dock walls as well. Uh, you know, when you're on the train, we go going like on the Northern line, you can see you know, all the big cranes as well. I was up in Everton Valley the other day and you could see all the big cranes down at Bramley Moor Dock as well. So you're starting to see, you know, the, the this, this project, uh, all over the city, really, wherever you can, wherever you can get a look down at it, and, and I think that that is important, isn't it? That's really crucial. And you know, Everton have Everton have been through a lot over the course of. Well, they haven't even been on site for a year yet. I think it's only later this month uh, that will mark a year of them being on site. I think it's on like the twenty sixth of July, something like that, it will mark a year that they've been on site, and the amount of transformation that they've that they've achieved already in you know the space of just. 12 months is absolutely incredible you know they have had some they've had some hard work <laughs> over the course of that time you know with matters matters on the pitch and you know all the all the boardroom stuff and you know, even like the likes of weather conditions and stuff like that that they've had to deal with uh, like down down in the area as well and you know the, the financial markets going going haywire on a, on a well-wired basis as well yeah it's it's not been it's not been easy at all so the fact that they have kept up with their original timeline so far you know as far as we can make out i think there was one stage earlier in the year that they were actually ahead of, it, of their time scale as well which was you know which was absolutely incredible you know it, it's been a while since i've asked that question so i'm not sure whether that's still the case but they're certainly on on course but their original timeline as things stand so for that for that to be the case has been you know a real credit to everybody who's been you know involved in that sort of project and there's been you know a lot, a lot of people <laughs> who have made such a coordinated effort over the course of the last 12 months so i think that that's that's a real you know over the course of a year that's that's been you know a, r- a real general negative around the club here you know, That this this new stadium project continues to be a, a, a huge positive and you're right that you know it's really crucial that you know the, the, the club don't let anything else that may happen over the last over the next couple of weeks months or anything like that Get in the way of uh, the new stadium project and it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case at all so i think uh, anybody working on that project you know they, they really do deserve a lot of credit
2: joe just know in terms of you know the, the takeover can you they he lose this but can you understand why father sherry although the best option seems to be to sell up and, and get up now while you can can you half understand why you might be tempted to stick around for from the twelve to eighteen months and, and try and buy this time and get Everton back off the table and, and make them into you know firstly a solid mid, mid table Premier League team and then look to kick on to the top the top eight?
1: Probably comes down really to, to where his own personal ambitions lie and what's more important to him. Is it when it comes to Everton, is he more interested in recouping as much money as possible, or is he more interested in his his legacy for his his, you know, role in the club over the past, um, six and a half years, obviously, you know, if, if, if he is interested in his, in leaving a legacy, obviously there's no better than to leave the stadium as it is. I mean, it's a, you know, it's essentially one of the biggest, you know, regeneration products underway in, in the whole of the country, you know, what that would do to North Liverpool, to the surrounding area, you know, if, if, if it was to be completed would be absolutely phenomenal. Um, and on the pitch, obviously, he leaves them in one of the worst situation. Haven't had one of the worst seasons that they've had in, in in decades. And you'd like to think it could only get better. But I think on the pitch, obviously, to get to a point where he can say he um, he left them in a better place than where he started, they have to go a long way, and that's going to take a long time. And perhaps not lots and lots of money if you do lots of savvy signing and investment in, in players, which will only you know, take time and would also take a strategy, which there hasn't been any, there hasn't been any strategy really under his regime. Hopefully that changes at the moment and Falwell and Lampard get the opportunity to, you know, to, to kind of, to build something, to genuinely build something at Everton. Um, you know, obviously he's a businessman that's got access to huge tranches of money. So it comes down to, I suppose, to whether or not it's a pet project for me. It's, it doesn't take much longer, it probably wouldn't take that much longer and it's not out of the question for Evan to be in a much better position in eighteen months than where they are now, or well, certainly two years, you know, By the time the stadium's built and, you know, with a little bit of sensible strategy financially and on the pitch, they could be, you know, mid table Premier League club looking towards the you know, challenging for Europe and challenging for domestic trophies with a brand new stadium. And he can put his name to it and say, Well, you know what, we started off badly, but look where we are now. Um, but I guess it all comes down to how much he wants or needs the money because, you know, as Dave says, he's almost certainly walking away from the Everton project at a loss. You know, how much is he willing to lose on it if someone is willing to come in and spend, you know, half a billion pounds to buy it off him will it recoup hundreds of millions of pounds of what he's spent and allow him to go off and, off into the sunset, you know, having, you know, perhaps had his, his nose blooded but, you know, not being bankrupted by the whole thing. So, you know, I think what's going on in, in Fahad, head's head and what's going on in his accounts probably is very difficult for any of us to kind of kind of get to the bottom. of. But I can definitely see reasons why he'd want to stay. I can see reasons why, you know, I think you only really take over a, a club if you've got a certain degree of, of ego. And it must be dented somewhat to be, you know, looking at this project, looking at this investment and how much money he's put into it and seeing the, the, the parlour state that it's currently in. So it must be tempting to say well you know what hold on a bit longer a bit longer things will get better you know my decisions will look better i will look stronger and better as a, as a businessman and as a strategist as, as well if i um you know let these things play out but obviously again as dave says there's you know, the, the risk of relegation if we're in a situation where everton can't significantly strengthen that squad then you know, next season could be difficult again. And, you know, if, if if he ends up with a championship club, then he's well, that'd be catastrophic for the club, he'd be catastrophic for his accounts, it'd be catastrophic for his for his legacy. So I suppose it depends, he's got to balance all those risks, hasn't he, at the end of the day, and see what matters more for him if he needs money. If we're looking at this from a purely financial rather than an emotive point of view, then, you know, you could definitely see why he'd be willing to sell and Sell sooner rather than later while there's interest on the table and Everton, a you know an established Premier League club with a, a brand new stadium on the way. So if he needs money, he's probably going to be quicker than rather sooner rather than later. But if he doesn't need money, if it is you know a, a pet project for him and something that he he wants to see turn out well, then you know, there are things in place that could certainly if he held on for eighteen months. If they adopt strategies and sensible strategies, which haven't been haven't been characteristic of his regime so far, but if they do so, definitely be in a lot better place in eighteen months, two years' time than they are now. That might be a better time for him to leave when the club's maybe even worth a bit more.
3: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: Just one last thing, you know, around the takeover, and they want to come to you because there was one aspect of the deal that come out last week that you you broke for the echo and that's that the deal is not gonna be the same as where it is the one used to Burnley to take over and Alan Pace's a L C or PL uh, consortium group took over a Burnley and I just want to ask you if you can explain to supporters why that's so important that it's not that type of deal and that Everton won't find themselves in a position that Burnley found themselves in when, when they were relegated from the, the Premier League at the end of that season.
3: Well, basically, it, it, it removes yeah. kind of the debt off the, the balance sheet for for Everton because ALK when they bought Burnley, you, the leverage buyout, you're effectively using the cash in the bank that the football club has um, to to purchase it. So, same type of thing happened at Manchester United. So the Glazers didn't pay. You know, there was nothing came out of their their own personal wealth to acquire United. It was all done from from debt. So they just piled debt onto the football club. Um, Everton are already, you know, and in, in, like you said, Joe touched on a kind of a pile of state in terms of the, the finances. So. Um, you want to avoid it. You, you just kind of, you know, you're out the fire and pan into the fire and stuff like that, especially when you're a, 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 a football club which is trying to recover from uh, from overspend. So to have kind of a clean balance sheet from new owners um, gives a degree of confidence and some certainty to, to fans and it also represents a bit of a, a fresh start but as a business to clear that debt and to not have that hanging over you in terms of having to find interest repayments for, for things. And, um, it, it's, it, it strengthens the the, the finances of the football club so it's important um that they can't clar- I mean that that was clarified anyway that uh, and i think it's important for whoever acquires the football club that it's a it, it's a takeover based on you know kind of largely equity um because you know leverage buyouts after what we've seen you only have to look at look at burnley i mean alk went into burnley with a lot of grand designs about how to do this that and the other and, and reinvent the wheel somewhat um the football club went down this year so all those ideas they had will have to change because there now has to be a reality that um, they have to get up in the next two or three years. Otherwise use parachute payments to try and make ends meet because otherwise um, once you miss that boat, um, you are in kind of a world of pain really. So, uh, and especially for a, for a club, which is piled on with debt and used all the you know, the kind of cash in the club's bank account to pay for it. Um, it, it stings even more. So I think it's important for Everton um, to have a takeover of that of that nature um I I think largely there'll be an appetite from uh from Mishiri I think to try and find I do think to try and find the best possible financial outcome for the football club I I don't think for a second he doesn't care or he doesn't have a real affinity with the football club I think that Bramley Mordock will end up being his legacy I'm not too sure whether success on the pitch anymore is something which he can achieve in the way he wanted to i think that battle might have to be passed to someone else but um i think if he leaves him as a football premier league football club at least with a stadium and a chance for someone else to come in and carry that load and take them to a different level which he wasn't able to despite his best efforts it must be said um then i think that's probably a positive outcome so um but we shall see what what people if if any come to the table in the next in the in the coming weeks um, with any the, the Kaminsky consortium already said that that's their plan is, is, is equity, no debt. So it would be up for the, I imagine that would mean the rest, it would probably raise some questions for other investors who maybe had plans for for kind of more debt than equity to, to make, to show their hand, but I think it'll may set a precedent in terms of who may come forward, um, if any, over the coming weeks and months. Just to, before we wrap up against
2: Adam. It's not all been doom and gloom around Everton. Mm-hmm. Frank Lampard and the sides have returned to training today. Mm-hmm. The, the preseason starts now. Mm-hmm. They were joined by new boy James Tarkowski who's mm-hmm. officially announced as an Everton player mm-hmm. on Saturday, even though it's been long uh, an open secret, yeah. shall we say, but yeah. uh, he was going to join the, the Blues. But given what we've seen, what tarkowski had to say when he joined, given what we read in terms of you know office from other clubs. It's a bit of a, a, a massive coup, isn't it, for Frank Lampard? One, that's probably another a that they're unnoticed given the situation and, and what the events have, have gone around the football club. Probably, but it's it's a coup, isn't it, that they've managed mm. to get someone they, they wanted over the line and into
0: the football club? Well, 100%. And I don't think it can be really allowed to fly onto the radar. You know, it, it's not as if he's, you know, just became a free transfer and that's the only reason that Everton have chased him. You know, I think Everton have been interested in the past Frank Lampard certainly been interested in the past. He tried to bring him to Chelsea he is. Is, when he was the Chelsea manager. So, you know, I, I think that shows the, the, the level that Frank Lampard sees James Tarkovsky at, doesn't it? So, you, you know, I think this is, this is a really important sign. And, you know, it, it goes back to what we've said on, on the podcast before. You know, it goes back to what Frank Lampard was saying after the last game of the season. He wants to make this squad more robust was the word that he used. And you know, this is... The kind of signing that's, that's going to do that because James Tarkovsky, you know, Touchwood doesn't get injured a lot, which is I think <laughs> I think that's a well, think, that little, that little, that little phrase there. That little. <laughs> I take no point for it, <laughs> but it's it's a key point to make, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm sure that you know played a big part in you know, why Lampard and Telwell have tried to to go for Tarkovsky. They need they just need consistency uh, all over the pitch and you know and in the in the centre back area, at the very least, James Tarkovsky is going to provide that for you. He's a top quality centre back. We've seen it over the years uh, over his time at Burnley. Four year deal maybe surprised me a little bit. I, I maybe wasn't expecting it to be as high as a four year deal. But again, I think that probably just speaks to how much confidence Lampard has in him as a player, and you know, has in what he's going to be able to bring to Everton. So. You know he's back, back in pre-season now. You know here with with the squad on the first day of pre-season, which uh, you know is another important aspect, isn't it? You know to get him get him fully integrated with the squad as soon as he possibly can. Hopefully we'll be seeing him from you know, the first game of the year uh, of the coming season. So yeah, fingers crossed he can he can settle in well because I think he's a he is a really really good signing and you know the fact that he's a free transfer as well. It you know, did I think I said that earlier in the window did strike me as
2: a little bit of a no-brainer in the end. Joe, just to finish with yourself before we before we wrap up, Frank Lampard and his side, and of course your good self, are off to the States next week for Everton's pre uh, preseason tour. It would be nice for me if Frank Lampard get maybe one or two more new additions in over the line for when they you know they board the plane for America and give us a little bit more time to integrate them into the group, get them into the way he wants to play and just get them to adapt into the Everton players. We saw last year, you know, uh, Andros Townsend and, and Demari Gray were, were very kind of upcoming now. God, they were, they were able to go on the Everton pre-season tour to America with Rafa Benitez's side and, and get that bit of training on the pitch because it helped them adjust and helped them to adapt to life for Everton a lot quicker than when you come in when the the, the season's just about to start or the season's already started in some places.
1: Well, yeah, it's absolutely crucial, isn't it? I mean, I think the um, you know, the new season's just over a month away, isn't it? I think it'll be 6th of August and we're on the fourth of July now, and you know, obviously, it's a truncated preseason because of the the, the World Cup in, in in the winter. So, you know, we're probably going to see a lot of business being done in quite a short period of time. Um, you know, obviously, Everton go away for the preseason tour a week tomorrow. So, yeah, getting deals over the line before them, just like uh, just like the potential investors taking over in turn in. In time for Everton to play in, in in their home city in America, it's starting to look like those deadlines might not be might not be met. So I don't know, but this is definitely true that getting players in as soon as they can so they can spend as much time, you know, playing with, you know, getting to know each other, getting to know the squad, getting to know Lampard and Fowl and working on things. Everton need to hit the ground running beginning of next season. Really, you know, the way last season, obviously, the way last season ended to some extent, was a positive because they stayed up, they achieved what ended up becoming the goal. And, and they did so with the fans rallying behind the, the the side and the club in a way that we hadn't seen for, for quite some time. But obviously, that was very much because of the you know, the desperate situation that Evan found itself in at the time. A bad start to next season would just lead to so many more questions um, being asked. And obviously, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'd see frustration from the supporters if if lessons haven't been learned and we we look like we're ahead for heading for a another very difficult campaign, best antidote to that is is good, effective, efficient summer business. It's done as soon as possible so that preparations um, for the new season can can be a, a, as long and as far as possible.
2: Right, gents, we will leave things there. I think we've uh, chewed the fat enough over all things Everton over the uh, the last hour or so. Adam, Dave Joe, thanks very much for joining me. We'll be back with another episode of the Royal Blue Podcast, possibly at the end of this week, given the way developments are going. I think we could probably be recording another show. But if not, we'll be back next week to bring you all the information from Goodison Parker's Everton Transfer Talk and TakeOver Talk continues at pace. But for today, thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast.
3: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.